HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware, a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecruzet.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. The topic? Restaurants and rules. Some rules are based on religion. This makes for an unusual scene in a Manhattan restaurant, a shy 20-year-old dictating the kitchen standards to a humble veteran chef. While other rules promote health and safety. But who are these feared rule keepers with the power to shut a restaurant down? They're not really like food, food lovers. Some restaurant rules fall outside the domain of the kitchen. All civil rights issues have basically, uh, at one point or another, revolved around the bathroom. For more, tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, sitting here with Mark Vetri and Vetri Cucina. Cucina. Nailed yes. it. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it on the first take. Uh, first take. Uh, Not really, but you know. It's nice to be on your home turf. I mean, Philadelphia is, is your turf. Philly's awesome, man. Um, I love it here. It's one of the best. You know, it's coming back, especially from LA, especially during this time of year when it's like crisp and sort of gray and everything's yeah. changed. You go like, oh, I sort of miss these seasons a lot. It is a little rainy out now. It's yeah. been raining a lot, so it hasn't. We've kind of like. Yeah went right from the, the summer t- to the winter and we sort of like missed the the fall yeah I found that that's been a trend of the northeast yeah. for the last few years yeah 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 um big question uh now that you got the pizza cookbook at uh have you helped or do you think that Philadelphia pizza town can you say officially on the map as a pizza oh, town oh definitely in America? pizza town here man we've got some awesome I mean obviously you know, um, the ones that I open, um, but we got a slew of other ones, more that, I mean... I was a Lorenzo really and Sons guy growing up. Lorenzo and Sons, yeah, yeah, they're old school. They're old school. I remember... Huge slices. What? Huge. Huge. Huge slices. Like, and only toppings, I think, once a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were a Rizzo's guy, right? I was a Rizzo's guy. Years of, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was actually in the... Yeah. 
So you read the book. Nice. I did read the so book. Like you know, not everyone knows Rizzo's, and you have to read the book. Yeah. You got to read the book. Rizzo, so it's not there now, but that was it, man. Thirty, well, forty. We're good. Forty, 40 years. Forty ago. years ago, yeah. So for people who are not familiar with. Philadelphia style pizza, and we can just start with the slice. Like, how would you describe a Philly slice? I don't know that it exists. You know, I just think it's like very similar to the 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 you know the old the the old fashioned like the 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 um, you know the actual uh, the the um, the one from 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 New York. Yeah, um, just like. Large, you know, thin crust, thin crust, but but really sort of you know airy as well, floppy. I yeah. would say like a floppy crust, real heavy. Um, you know, the mozzarella and the sauce kind of all like run, you know, together. A little sweet, sweetness. Yeah, sweetness. Some, some oregano. I think oregano is kind of the major yeah. flavor there. Now you've been making pizza for about thirty years. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. We're in a restaurant. Okay, it's, it's, right. let's make. We'll get into it, but it's like jazz, yeah. baby, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know what? Uh, you actually started, but you actually started making pizza out on the West Coast with. Yeah. With I would say the man who probably changed pizza Wolfgang from the West Puck. Coast, Wolfgang Puck. Yeah. Um, how did you? What was it like when you first started making pizza, especially pizza professionally? Well, I felt, what, yeah. Yeah, what was like the change internally? I fell in love with it. I mean, I had never really like made it like that, you know, like mixing everything, letting letting it letting it actually rise, the whole f- fermentation, the the wood oven, you know, they only they they only used the 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 wood oven then, so I had to learn like, you know, had to stick the logs on where the the, the heat, you know, um, where to have the the logs and everything. The heat had to like rotate it around. So that was a whole, and I just like fell in love with that. I I always I always you know wanted to work that uh, the station because uh, I just loved it. Now, had you done? Pasta, like, hey, you sort of mastered pasta at that point. Well, mastered, Ma- mastered no. I was learning. Learning pasta, but... I was learning pasta. So, you know, you... Still learning pasta. Still learning pasta, like, which is... Every day. So, but, you know, it's like, you have dough. At some point, you, you have your dough, yeah. and then you go in completely different directions of in the actual cooking process. Sure. Were there any skills that you were pulling from pasta for cooking, or was it just I a completely mean, different mindset? you know, so I was out there in the early... 90s, you know, and that was kind of like my school, you know, for everything really. You know, I used to, you know, when I worked for 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 Wolf, I was really still like learning my my way around the 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 restaurant. You know, I um, I hadn't went to Italy yet, um, uh, you know, so I was just learning how to like make a stock, fillet of fish. Make a sauce, you know, all that, you know. So, you know, so learning that there just, you know, sort of, sort of added uh, to everything. Um, and it was just for me, like that was like the nuts and the, the bolts of of everything, you know. So I was just fascinated with learning and just 
putting that all you know together and making things um, that, I mean f for me that was just super uh, fascinating now we'll get into it a little bit later because some of the combinations you have at your pizza restaurant and in the book are non-traditional mm -hmm. and you were learning pizza at the place where non-traditional toppings especially at a gourmet level were started did you traditional toppings though but but the not, dough itself yeah. and everything did yeah. you find that as an influence like do you think that if you had learned pizza somewhere else that that wouldn't have been no because i always went you know once i went to italy um i really learned about flavors and what like works with what you know so i think it, like you know just that was for me that was just reps you yeah. know Rolling out the dough, sticking it in the oven. Rolling out the dough, sticking it in the oven. We do just the volume, man. man yeah, we used to do four hundred every single like night. I was making, I was rolling out dough, putting it in the oven. I used How to those go four arms. Those two, arms getting big. Three hundred, four hundred those things every single every single night. So, I mean, that was my like that was the reps, you know. So, you have to have that, you know. You know like, you know that was an an amazing uh, foundation for me to have. I was very lucky to have that that uh, that upper that opportunity there. So, but once I went you know, to Italy, then I started to understand flavors and simplicity and what sort of worked with what. And then I could start you know saying, hey, you know those things that I was making with like. You know, when I was out in L.A., a lot of that stuff doesn't really make sense for me. Now, I would leave off this, that, and the other thing, and I would only use this, you know. So, you know, that's when, you know, so I started to kind of put it all together, I think, later. Um, I mean, you've made many trips to Italy, especially for yeah. research and pasta. I, mean, I used to go twice pizza. a year now. So. Um, but that first trip, what was one of the things when you got over there that disrupted everything you had thought about pizza? What was one or two things that you said, oh, I had no idea that it could be like this yeah. or I just had a different perception? Well, I mean, I mean, again, you, you're specifically talking, I mean, I mean about that one, that one item, right? Um, I look at it as I learned about food there and like, flavors and what work with what then you can you know use that for anything you know so i wasn't really focused on you know when i went to italy I, like like i didn't really learn 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 a lot about that i just learned a lot about food and flavors and you know uh you know respecting the land and you know where where everything arrives from and you know, all of that stuff and then you know, once you have that knowledge you can you can use it anywhere right you don't have to you know specifically you know say oh I'm like using it for fish or I'm using it for meat or I'm using it for noodles or I'm using it for uh, 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 pizza making you know it's knowledge that, that you can just utilize for everything um, I want to skip ahead a little bit because sure. you come back to America you go to New York you want up in Philly you have 
you know, the restaurant we're sitting in now, a few places, but what made you want to start opening a pizza restaurant? When did you start saying that I'm ready, I've mastered it, I have something to say differently because, you know, artisanal wood fire pizza now is, I don't want to say common ground, but it's, yeah. it's more, yeah. it's, it's more, it's easier to find in almost yeah. any city than it was maybe at five years yeah. or 10 years ago. What was that shift for you? Um, well, I mean, first of all, we have to, I mean, even though the book is actually named Mastering, we have to stop using that word in terms of like that I have like no, mastered I, anything in my life. No, no, of course. But I, I haven't. Mean, I'm always learning. It's a great, like, it's a great tool. It's a great tool, but you know, it's. When did you feel confident enough that your it's pizza. It's really unmastering. Yes. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, really should, should be the name of the book. Um, you know, so we opened uh, the, the, the Osteria, yeah. um, and obviously, you know, we had the oven there, and we had thing, we had a whole, like, section where we had um, our Roman-style uh, uh, pizzas on the menu there. Um, and, you know, we were just always kind of talking, like, we should just open up a restaurant with only this on the menu just like six, six pizzas and like that's it um, and we were always kind of talking about it and then just like you know how anything happens you know the guy who was the landlord from from, from Amis was uh, making um, was like re redoing this this other thing where he was you know having like like a hundred rental rental units, and he had some uh, some some retail under it, and he had this one little sixteen hundred square foot thing that he didn't know what to stick there. Right. You know, so I looked at it, and I was like, "Man, this is perfect for a wood oven, and like that's it." You know. So you know, we started looking at it, and I was like, "Let's just make it, dude. Let's just call it, you know, uh, 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 pizzeria battery." And let's just knock it out. And then we started, you know, working on the concept and uh, come up. Yeah, you know, we just came up with like eight or nine. I don't remember how many were on the menu. And then we kind of came up with the the Rodolo, and we just uh, we just knocked it out. You know. Now, for people who don't know what the Rodolo is, because I would feel remiss if we didn't yes. mention what is your addition to Pizza Lexicon. Uh, and inventions because it's you create you create it's you like can, a cinnabon. It's basically. like a cinnabon, but it's but a savory one, like stuff with like mortadella and rigotta, and uh, you know we just wanted you know I wanted to have something on the menu that just wasn't like the norm. You know? Yeah. So we started messing around with things and started rolling them around, and you know, we just kind of came up with that. My mom loved it. Good. My mom, uh, my mom. That's all that counts. Right? Yeah, that's all that counts. That's it, it, man. Um, well, my mom gonna, loves it. That's it. Uh, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk okay. about the uh, cookbook, putting that together, and then we're going to talk about the opening of Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, we have a song from the archives. You know what? We'll play one of your songs from our archives oh. with you playing on it. Well, one of oh, the one of the, the old, Phil Roy ones. The yeah. Phil Roy ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then we'll come right back uh, with Mark Vetri. You're listening all to Snacky right. Tunes on Heritage Radio Network it's called Exceptionally Ordinary. A blues thing. Mm. 
All the pigeons are cooing outside my front door. I never heard them sound so pretty before. The neighbor's baby's crying, it's time to be fed. The morning lights call, get yourself out of bed. There's poetry to see, and exceptionally ordinary. Well, I stumbled to the sink, let the water splash my eyes. I glance out the window, look at that war women sky. That old man is walking hand in hand with his wife, and I'm just a witness. To the glories of life, there's poetry to see in the exceptionally ordinary. Oh, the sun turns light in the shadows, the sound of a bird's simple song, the smell of spring and its flowers. My baby waiting there for me when I get home now. Who needs fancy eating when you got rice and beans? simple glass of water short taste sweet there's poetry to see in the exception the ordinary yeah take it shadows, the sound, the sound of a bird's simple song, the smell of spring and its flowers, my baby waiting there for me when I get home. Now most people, they don't notice what's good in this life. It ain't the love of money or the stuff that it buys. You won't find it in a star shelf or in a catalog of things. It's Friendships, relationships, and family. There's poetry to see. It's exceptionally ordinary. I know it, yeah. There's poetry to see. Exceptionally ordinary. Yeah, I know it, I know it, yeah. There's poetry to see. Exceptionally ordinary. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Mark Vetri and we are talking about the new pizza cookbook. Um, listening to some listening to some of your music old also. Old I know. Yeah, I haven't heard that in a while. I know. It's uh <laughs> it's a classic. It may, it's on it's on one That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so now that you have it's four locations, right? Of the pizza place? Well, so you know, I don't I don't own them anymore. Right. You know that, right? So yeah. So they're not really mine, but yes, the the, the Urban Outfitter folks have. The Urban Outfitter for a four uh, Yeah, one two here, one in Washington, and one at uh, the mall here. Yeah. So yeah. So what made you now that you you had the stories, you sold them, but like you opened it up. What made you want to write a cookbook? Like you know, it's one thing to open a restaurant mm-hmm. that serves pizza, but another thing to sort of put your knowledge into a book. And I will, and I will say this: it is a very comprehensive book. And what I love about it is that it's you say like there's no wrong or right right way to do it. It's pizza, you know, and you yeah. just to try it and just to keep yeah. trying and keep trying and keep trying. I mean, so you know, this is obviously my uh, my, uh, my fourth book. Yeah. Um, 
And you know, I I just wanted to write it, you know, because I, you know, I think that all of the other things, you know, so I so obviously like uh, read a lot of others, and I'm always kind of seeing this one, you know, here's the one. One dough. Here's the one dough. One dough to rule the one dough. Yeah. Here's my dough. Here's one sauce. And I'm like thinking to myself, you know, like that's just wrong, Um, and it's not going to work for for everyone. And you know, the more that I like worked out of like various ovens and like you know, I just started to think about you know, you really have to look at first. Your heat source, yeah, you know, because a nine hundred, a nine hundred degree oven, and a five hundred, you know, degree oven, is is certainly going to make a totally different result, right? Yeah. So, is there a way to add hydration into things and like figure out ways to mimic a 900 degree oven in a store bought like a like a like the the Lowe's 500 degree oven or is there a I mean some other way to use like an iron skillet or if you have you know uh you know, what's it called? The uh, the, the egg. The oh big, yeah, the, the green the, egg. The big green egg. Yeah. Can you make something in that? So we just like started messing around with all these different heat sources and different hydration levels and we started to come up with a variety of different mixes that worked in all of these ovens you know and it just started to make sense and like and that's always you know like when I was in Los Angeles years ago it was all for me everything you know I'm a I'm a, you know, someone who understands, like, this, this is the round thing, this goes in the round hole, you know, I'm, like, very uh, mechanical, you know, in my, my, my thinking ways, you know, so I'm, 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 like, you know, all about, like, logics and, like, this has to work and science, you know, so, you know, 900 degrees you can use you know 60 60 percent you know um hydration levels in that but at 500 you know you're gonna have to raise that Mm -hmm. in order for it to work but you have to understand why so you have to understand what happens when you stick it in the oven you know yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, so I went through all that yeah. in the, the book, so folks would understand that. Not just like here's the recipe, make this, but why? Yeah, I mean, the book is a really good, especially when it comes to baking. And I found a lot of cookbooks, yeah. the why is left out a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. And it was really nice to read this book because it is both. It's a very forgiving and understanding mm-hmm. book that you are not going to have a 900 yeah. degree wood oven. But if you do, congratulations, you can go sure. to this section. That's great. But if you have a 500 degree oven and you, yeah. don't, and you didn't want to make the investment in a pizza stone, that's fine. But you know, flip over your uh, your baking sheet and you can use that instead. But it definitely 
is encouraging that, is saying with each level and each investment, each yeah. time you make that dough, Absolutely. it's going to get better. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of my favorite sections in it is where you can pair pizza to jazz. And yeah. it's one of my favorite, I would say, food music analogies yeah. that I've seen. But where do you see the connection? How did you come up with that analogy? You know, I, I, I don't remember exactly because, I mean, obviously all this stuff sort of flows, mm-hmm. flows, you know, together. And I'm also older now, so I forget half of the, <laughs> half of the shit I write. Um, but for me, it's always been about um, a melodic sense, you know, and food is also like that, you know, so I always kind of think of using, you know, you know, when I started studying uh, the, the, the music when I was out in, you know, Los Angeles, um, I was always fascinated with the guys who could make two notes sound incredible yeah you know and you never understood why because I could like use those exact notes and it'd be like dang, dang, but they did it <laughs> and it was like oh my god what were those notes yeah. they were just notes but the way they played them was yeah. incredible and then I would listen to the guys that could like riff like 30 notes in the same amount of time that you know someone like you know Miles would do two notes and I'd be like I'd rather listen to Miles Davis all day long than to listen to whoever else would do 30 notes in the same amount of time and I kind of think of food like that like two things on a plate yes there's a pickup I'm sorry it's downstairs do you know I have it sorry sorry no Sorry. Um, no, no, pick it. No, it's all good. You know, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to make sure you got the right thing. We're still going? Yeah, keep okay, going. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I was always kind of fascinated with that. Um, and that's the way I kind of think about food. Um, even, even like now, black, black hooks, you know, they say, hey, chef, look, look at this. And, and they'll be, you know... 20 things on there and everything like mass and I'm like yeah why don't you take this 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 off and you know you know there ought to be two to three flavors that you know sort of um, help one another they don't like mask the other they don't hide the other they they sort of um, you know complement one another and that's the same that I think of of, of like some of the most amazing soloists out there. Yeah, it's about the harmonies and about editing, which just comes yeah. with age and, yeah. and repetition. Um, now, before we move on to Vegas, uh, I want to ask one more question about the book because sure. there's so much information in there. Like, it's, it's a really, it's, it's a dense information. But what is the one piece of advice, or one of the top pieces of advice, after doing all this research writing this book, that you would offer to someone uh, who wants to start making pizza at home? Um, I would say, don't be scared by it. I mean, that's the, like that's the one thing that I think everyone, you know, they just think about flour and like mixing, it and they all they automatically think, oh my god, we're gonna make a mess. It's never gonna rise. 
They don't know whether to leave it in the refrigerator, out of the refrigerator. Um, and it just once you overcome that, you know, because that's always, I'm never going to try this. I'm just going to make a mess. I don't, yeah. You know, it's going to be too watery. It's not going to come together. But once you, like, get over that hump of, you know, like, it literally, it takes, like, 10 minutes to mix you know, it's all it is is flour, water, salt, and yeast. That's yeah. it. You know, flour, water, salt, yeast. Yeah, and like some, you add some olive oil, you know, and then you can have some flavorings. Just snap of flour, flour, water, salt, yeast. Mix them together and let science happen. You Sit know? back. And that's it. You Sit know? Um, so if releasing Mastering Pizza wasn't enough at this time, you've also decided to open up of restaurant the Palms in Vegas. Yes. Um, and opening restaurants of notable chefs who don't live in Vegas because no yeah. chefs really are from Vegas. Yeah. Uh, how did that process start? What made you want to go to Vegas? Um, and how did you think that you could sort of recreate this intimate townhouse experience in you know the Palms? Yeah. Well, I think it was a multitude of like just kind of happenings. Um, you know, I was obviously you know with with Urban Outfitters, and I was thinking of, uh, you know, of leaving there. I was there for about two years after we, you know, sort of sold the company. And, um, you know, I, I was left with this one one restaurant here, and uh, um, they were redoing uh, the, the hotel. Yeah. Um, and I think Michael Simon was the first one to to to, to sign on, and he had uh, just recently opened um, the, the the Atlantic the Atlantic City restaurant Angelina. Yeah. And um, you know they were kind of talking to him, and they said, you know, we have this awesome spot on the 56th floor. It's really small. We want you to do this really fine dining food 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 from Italy like like you're doing in um, in um, uh, Atlantic City and as the the story goes you know I think Michael um, he said this to me he said he said I'm not doing that restaurant but <laughs> you're gonna call Mark Vetri right now you know and uh, you know so they were like all right, um, you know, so so one day they ate at I think they were they were visiting Michael, and um, they were like, hey, why don't we shoot down the battery? So they, as one know, does, right? Just goes. They, well, they were at they were. I mean, we're yeah. forty five minutes from Atlantic City. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's really easy. They ate at the restaurant. Um, they were just blown away, um, and they went back to Vegas and they were just like we gotta get this this guy in here um, you know and then you know, you know we started the, the negotiations from there I mean it's a beautifully designed restaurant because from the photos it doesn't feel like a Vegas restaurant it does not it feel actually and you know obviously it's, we just opened up we had a whole bunch of nights it really feels like Vetri Philly I which, mean, which is but a, then you happen to look out the window and you see the Vegas 
strip. And I got to tell you, I mean, just a small little, I mean, an analogy, um, you know, and, you know, whoever's listening to this can, can sort of take this any way that they want to take it, but hanging out there, so there's always been like, right, you know, you know, we're Philly. Mm-hmm. New York's an hour and whatever, yeah. 20 minutes from us. And we've always been like, you know, Philly, you, know, you want to go to the city, you're going to New York. Right. When in reality, you know, if you, you ask me, the city is center city, Philadelphia. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, so we've always kind of been sort of second fiddle to New York, right? And like, when I was there, you know, so we had this awesome view of the the strip, and we're sort of off of it, you know. And I sort of feel like the strip is New York, but we're still in the Philly at, <laughs> at the hotel. Yeah, you know, sort of feels like a little bit like, hey, there's the strip. Fuck you, you know. Like we're here. You know, and uh, we're doing our thing. But it's funny because uh, the New York representation there is so gaudy and this like weird. You know, some of them are. But like, yeah, New York, New York casino. Where yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah. This weird. But I think I, I actually will say because I was actually just there and I was actually at the the, the, the Nomad Open. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, and they're they're thinking about this the same way mm-hmm. that I'm thinking about it. Let's. And I think a lot of like folks, they're going to start to order, to open up like I think less Vegasy style. Like it looked like Nomad in oh yeah New York, and it was awesome, and it felt like small but like hip. And and you know I think we feel like that, and I think a lot of these new restaurants they're going to open up, but they're going to feel like that. You know, like they want to make I think um oh less you know Vegasy style restaurant out there now and, you know. so in opening up it and from the sort of the menu mm-hmm. and developing the approach um, it still is Vegas so did you have to change anything or is it really just said you know what we're doing in Philly we're gonna do that exactly in Vegas you know we're gonna figure things out like obviously um, you can order there whereas you know here there isn't any ordering, you know. Yeah. We have the menu for you, um, but that's the, the old vetri. So we're basically opening up the the, the vetri that 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 I opened up with here. Right. You know, which is you know, you just order. Here's here's a menu. Um, you know, but other than that, there's no real changes. Um, it's very similar to what we started, you know, here with our first 15 years. Awesome. And uh, is the wine list any different? Do you have those like well, big Vegas? Well, I mean, you got to remember. You're in Vegas. Our state is uh, is a state-run wine system, so it's very difficult to get like really amazing wine. Vegas, we have an incredible wine list. And like, like, like in the hotels, you have access to anything in the hotel. So all the other restaurants wine list we have access to all that stuff so they could order some you know it, you know we have the the, the, 
the Scotch 80 downstairs. Yeah. From us, which is the uh, the steak restaurant. Um, man, they have incredible wines on yeah. their list. If someone walked upstairs, like, hey, we saw the wine on the uh, the wine list there. You know, this this 19 whatever. Yeah. Bhutan Rothschild. We can make a phone call, and they'll just kind of send it up, and then they'll 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 send us the. Send you the bill. The wholesale cost for it. And, you know, we'll just move it over to the restaurant and then we'll get the sale. So, I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole it's different a, world out there. It's a whole different world. Yeah. Um, what's next? N- more vetries, more no, books? No, no more vetries. No this more is vetries. it? That's it. That's it, man. I got vetri East Coast, vetri West Coast. and uh, You can't tempt you to come out to L.A.? Maybe. Las Vegas is as far as I'm getting, you know. We um, tried to get him west of Nevada. He wouldn't do it. No. Well, Chef, I want to thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. I can't wait to check back in in a year about Vegas and hear some more, pleasure, man. more stories. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
I'm Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food. And my favorite cookware is the 9-inch cast iron Le Creuset fry skillet that never leaves my stovetop. My Le Creuset recipe? Slab of bacon and some vegetables in the skillet. There is no better skillet than Le Creuset for my kind of skillet cooking. It spoils me. The heat retention is amazing. Heat a tortilla on super low heat. I even take my Le Creuset skillet with me when I travel. Bacon, quesadillas, burgers, chicken cutlets. Chefs always talk about sourcing the best quality ingredients, knowing your suppliers, using the right cookware and tools is just as important. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook, with the code HRN. All right. If uh, Future Irons are coming to your town, I would highly recommend seeing them. It's a very interesting, amazing group out of uh, Baltimore Good Live Show. But Eli, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I mean, I really think it has been like four or so years since you uh, you were here. I think, well, the last time I was here was right before my last album came out, which unfortunately was four years ago, which is really crazy to think about. But now I've got a new record coming out, and here we are back again. This, yeah. is, this is all my promotional stop. No, I mean, hey, I mean, I'll take it. Hopefully it won't be like four years to the next one, but I, yeah. I would hope not. I would um, hope not. So let's, uh, let's talk about the record. Sure, man. Tell us about it. I mean, recorded almost a year ago. Yeah. Um, what was the, I know you recorded with like one of your longtime collaborators. You know, what was the approach on this one versus you know the, former, the previous records? Well, you know, I mean, it took four years sort of for a reason. Uh, we... After I, I, I did my record for Capital, which was Come and Get It in 2010, and we really, you know, I didn't even really take a break from touring. I, I stopped touring, recorded it in four weeks or whatever, and then went right back on the road. So we were literally touring almost from late 2007 through 2012, like without really any long extended breaks of more than a month or two. You know, it was a really extensive period of touring, which is great, you know, and I was really excited. And after that, kind of tapered off um you know i was ready to do another record for capital and then they got bought out by emi was bought out by universal and and things kind of went to hell and they didn't renew my my contract at at capital and my buddy mike elizondo who produced come and get it basically right then same week called me and said would you like to make a record for warner brothers i just got this 
deal being a staff producer at Warner Brothers. They let me do, have an A and R job, which basically means he gets assigned acts. And he, I was his first call. He's like, "Hey, come and come and make a record at Warner Brothers." And I was like, "Okay, you know, can I can I do it myself?" You know. And they were like, "Yeah, everybody was it was really supportive of me, and and we had a few songs that were already written, but not all of it, and sort of." From that, uh, we took myself, when I say we, I'm always talking about myself and, and my friend Ryan Spraker, who was uh, my guitarist for a long time and has now be kind of become my right-hand man for production and writing and, and just about everything. We took a bunch of trips out to, to Los Angeles and, and did writing sessions um, with a whole host of different writers and different kinds of writers, from a hip-hop producer to a rock producer to a rock songwriter, just like just to kind of see how people wrote songs because I had been just used to just sitting at home with my acoustic guitar and you know I'd, I'd bang it out and I wouldn't really like you know I, I was sort of like still under the sway of like if I can't get it done in seven and a half minutes then it's not a good song and I kind of was gradually starting to move away from that and and writing from you know however these guys wrote so some some guys were like oh man I got this sick you know drum beat let's try to build something around that or this this bass line has been rolling around in my head let's let's work from that or this synth line or this whatever this vocal melody so that was like a whole different idea of of how to make a record how to how to write a song that sort of kind of changed my whole approach and and because of that it, it, you know it was a little bit of a trial and error and we wrote probably somewhere on the order of 40 songs for this record that ended up being 11 right 11 songs um but the process was honestly sort of the best part you know and when it came to m to actually record the record so much of it in a way was already done because we had been demoing things uh more aggressively and, and and it was like okay we just got to put the finishing touches on this and then it's ready to go and what were some of the i mean again like the same thing with eduardo like what were some of the like aha moments you got from the writing process that have maybe stuck with you and will continue to influence you i think the biggest thing i worked a lot actually with uh, a guy uh michael fitzpatrick who whom people know as fitz from fitz and the tantrums mm-hmm. who's the lead singer you know and and he is really like he has a very particular style, and sometimes we don't get along when it comes to writing. But we wrote in, in what way? Just like he, he he's very set in his in his how he feels a song should should be built or or whatever, uh, and just like he has a set a style. Got it. He has a style, and I have a style. And sometimes you might think that those two things we would butt heads, and and we did a little bit, but it, in a way it was very good because. What he really stressed to me was that vocal melody was something that you have to have a vocal melody that's going to catch people's attentions right away. And for me, coming as a background from as as really a soul singer or coming from gospel music, and most of the the singers that I love and the songs that I love from that era, the records that I love aren't really about vocal melody. They're about, more about the virtuosity of the singers and like kind of like the power of of the singers. Like you could just make anything a soul record by in a way by by just like if you have a good enough soul like you see listen to wilson pickett sing hey jude he doesn't really sing the melody he sings like wilson pickett you know what i mean and that's sort of what makes it him but fitz's idea and and an idea that i eventually came around to was that you can sing that same way but if you if you set the melody up if you adhere strictly to the melody then you're going to be able to catch people's ears more and get people on board faster to your songs wow i never thought about that way do you have an example for anything 
It's hard, you know. It, it, I think a, a lot of the songs on this record, uh, which is called "Nights Like This," by the way, and it comes out April 29th. Oh, we're gonna plug the yeah, shit out of it. Like, sure. Oh, that's that. That's one of ten. One of ten. Yeah. So, <laughs> it is is, you know, I think a, really most of them were were we really focused on the melody even more than. I mean, I was such a words guy, and I still am. And I think the word. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm very interested in, in in making sure the lyrics are are right. But we, you know agonized over over making sure the melody was like it really hit home like right away like that was in your head you know do you want to from the get-go do you want to play us a tune uh, uh, a good example of this sure well this is actually i'm gonna play this is the the first single uh we did woohoo which you played earlier which is kind of like our sort of teaser single it was a little bit of a a a pre-launch and this is the first one that's going to go to radio, uh, hopefully already on the radio in, in Europe, uh, and then hopefully we'll be on the radio here in the U.S. Uh, in the late spring, early summer. Uh, and this is called Shock to the System. This is one that I wrote with, with Fitz and Ryan and a, uh, a great rock producer by the name of Dave Bassett. Great. Actually, I just want to say really quick, this is the first song that we wrote for this record. The first session that we ever did, got out there with Fitz and Dave and bang this out in four or five hours and I had no idea if it was good or not and apparently people like it so that's good this is called Shock to the System She walked in my life and turned it upside down I hollered hey 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 I was serious about her but she made me a clown I hollered hey Stop. 
Awesome. Thank you. That was great. So when you're putting a song together like that with five people, how does it how does it come together? How does it not fall into like death by committee or lowest common denominator? <laughs> it's funny, you know, you would think that it would, you really would. Um and these were the first sessions that I had done with like more than one other person. Um I think everybody kind of finds their role. You know, um in that particular session I was really the one focused on the lyrics and kind of like making the lyrics and vocal melody fit together and and making it my own because I'm, it's my voice um, and then Dave was kind of building the track you know that's the thing with writing songs these days you can come out of a session in four hours with something that sounds like kind of a finished product which is really bizarre for me and I never really I, I would always like send in demos with just me and a guitar, you know. So you know, part of writing the song is making making it sound like 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 a record already. So Dave was working on the drums, and then Fitz was building the kind of keyboard lines and making sure the harmony all fit together. And then you know, I know Ryan Ryan and I were kind of working on the lyrics and melody together. You just yeah, uh, it becomes like a team, and and if, and if if you work together well. Then you're you're a winning team, and if you don't, then you're a losing team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you have any like sessions that you walked into where you're just like, this is just no, this is not this is not going well. We need to get out of here. Absolutely, you know, I'm not going to name any names. No, I mean, but uh, we never yeah. do here. Yeah, but. you know, I, I mean, some sessions are are just busts. You know, even if you have a good team, some sessions can be busts. You know, but uh, but I think that. Well, the way that we kind of approached it was Ryan and I were like, well, we know how to write the way that we write. But we're pretty versatile and adaptable. Let's try to write the way that everybody else writes. And let's see how they want to start. Mm. Let's let them start. And then we can, you know, both he and I play a lot of instruments. We both know how to work kind of within different parameters. So we decided to just let the other writers take the lead. And then we were able to, you know, uh, uh, turn the the song or whatever the quality of things uh, towards our way of thinking right and so I, and what were some of the and i know we talked about like the vocal melodies but like by going that structure like what did you learn about your own process from from letting other people take the lead i learned that my process was very narrowing you know for me like that i had never uh, just all these different ways of, of making music that I had never really even kind of touched on, and that was exciting. You know, it was really cool to just see how other people were doing it. And, and what was you know one or two of the ways that like other people make music? They're like, whoa, I never thought about this, and now it's just coming with you outside of the vocal melody. Sure, part. I mean, we wrote this track uh, that's on the record called "Lonely World," and that was we wrote this with this guy uh, who goes by Rich Skills, and he's like real. Uh, he's a, he's a, uh, a protege of of one of the big hip hop producers, Polo De Don. So he's like a he all he does is hip hop, really hip hop and some R and B. So he had this just like massive drum beat and this m- piano m- sort of like half progression. You know, it was really very very bare bones. All it was is piano and like big eight oh eight kick and snare. And for a lot of people, might hear that and be like, "Oh, we just got to get a rapper on this track. Like the the beat is hot. Let's just get somebody." But and then Ryan and I were like, "Man, we could take this and put some." kind of like 70s soul-ish guitar behind it and make it 
kind of sound like a Prince thing with a hip hop beat. So that's sort of what we did. You know, uh, like we heard it in a different light than people maybe in the same wheelhouse as he would. And he was cool enough to just let us kind of take the track and go with it. You know. Uh, so the the new record Nights Like This is coming up, but you're doing some. Uh pre-shows if you will sure and uh, i know you had a couple up in, in boston and one at union pool but mm-hmm. um what are the shows like well we're doing these shows we we, we kind of are, are taking the theme and running with it nights like this with eli paperboy reed and the 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 goal at least right now uh for before the album comes out is we're playing the big thing is myself and the band are playing the entire album all the new songs so people can come in here all the all the new stuff even before it's out um we have great DJs who are spinning in between bands. Uh, this we have a show coming up this Saturday, which is March 22nd at uh, Studio Webster Hall, and uh, some good friends of mine, High and Mighty Brass Band, are supporting, and they're an amazing, amazing band. And they they play out on the floor. It's you know they have tuba and trombone and all that stuff. So they really the goal was to make it more of an event and not just a show that you go to and you pay your twelve dollars and you stay and see the band for forty minutes and then you leave. You want people to hang out. And enjoy the vibe of the thing. You know, that's like what we were trying to get across with the nights like this kind of concept. Uh, do you want to play another uh, new song off the record? Yeah, absolutely. I want to play one right now. This is one of my my favorites. This is my alternate title to the record because I think it's, it it is you know sort of representative. But uh, this this is one that we uh, that it was just Ryan and I we wrote this together on, on one of our sessions, and this is called Grown Up. It goes like this. My living room floor, making sure my mother wasn't coming in the door with the radio blasting, singing. Back in '91, I was having too much fun. There was nothing that could make me stop relaxing. Thought I'd never grow old. How could I be so bold? But I've got a deal now. Shit is getting real, so I put on my shoes and lace up. I know I've got to face up to the breakups and makeups and everything I screwed up. I've got to shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. Cause now, somehow, I'm a grown up. Even know when's it even starts. Someone give me lines, cause I don't know this party seems so easy. Nobody spends their days watching time go by. Close your eyes and jump and hope that you can fly. Can't believe it. Oh, thought I'd never grow old. How could I be so bold? But I've got a deal now. Shit is getting real So I put on my shoes and lace up I know I've got to face up To the breakups and makeups And everything I screwed up I've got to shape up this Lost time to make up Mistakes to own up Cause now, somehow, I'm a Grow old 
I'll be so bold But I've got a deal now Shit is getting real now Shit is getting real now uh, So I put on my shoes and lace up I know I've got to face up To the breakups and makeups And everything I screwed up Shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. Cause now, somehow, I put on my shoes and lace up. I know I've got to face up to the breakups and makeups and everything I screwed up. I've got to shape up this lost time to make up mistakes to own up. Cause now, somehow, I'm a I feel like that song is trying to send a message, but I, I just can't figure it out. No, it's a yeah. tough one. Yeah, it's those. It's really subtle and you know, <laughs> really shrouded lyrics. Subtlety was never my strong suit. <laughs> um, I mean, is there any like? I mean, in, besides like hiding the fact that people were just like fucking all the time in soul music, was there like much subtlety to soul music? You know, I don't think so, and, and I kind of don't think that's really what it's all about. You know, I, I'm. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, not really a fan of music that has too many subtleties, whether it's emotional or not. Uh, I think that there's a place for it, don't get me wrong, and I'm not going to say there isn't. Uh, I'm, you know, I've sort of always been a a hard-on-my-sleeve kind of person. I think that I do enjoy tongue-in-cheek lyrics. I enjoy lyrics that can be funny or interpreted in, in a couple of different ways. But for the most part, I'm not writing poetry. Right. And I'm okay with that. That's me, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, you gotta. I mean, you have to know your place. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. That's, that's fine. So, um, you know, along with uh, a new record comes a, a tour. Yes. So, uh, where are you heading out to? Well, after we do this show, uh, this will be the last New York show, uh, March 22nd. I want to say again, Webster Hall, which is coming up this Saturday, less than a week. Uh, this will be the last show in New York before the record comes out, uh, and then less than a month from then, we head to Europe. Uh, we're going to be in Europe, basically from. April 22nd through June 9th with a few with a little bit of a break in between. Okay. But uh yeah, we're going uh Ireland, Scotland, England, Holland, Belgium, Switzerland, France, Germany, Italy, Spain. Some real meat and potato places. Yeah. No, uh, and good. and any of them um places like close near and dear to your heart that you're like I'm so excited come back with welcome open arms i love spain we do very very well in spain which has been a, a, a really uh, a, i have a great promoter over in spain called heart of gold and they've just done an amazing job really helping me to build a career over there so we can go and i, I will go and play from in madrid for you know 2500 people and it's pretty it's a pretty amazing place to be able to go and hang out eduardo favorite spanish wine Ooh, um a little un, uh, unsung spot in the uh, northwest part. It's a grape called Mencia. Sure. Uh, really light, easy drinking. Yeah. So delicious. He didn't even flinch. Look oh, at that. He was yeah, ready. I'm impressed. He was ready. We did We did actually play uh, uh, when they, they, they recently did an unveiling for the, the white grape in Rioja. And we played at the, the, the like they That's had a big awesome. event. And What's the uh, white grape unveiling? 
I don't know what that's all about, but you I, know. I don't know either. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, apparently they have a white. Rioja is generally known for red wine. I yeah. would imagine, and they have, they're, they're apparently debuting a, a, some sort of genetic anomaly where they have a white Rioja grape. <laughs> oh, oh so, I mean, there are, are whites from Rioja to be sure that can be pretty fascinating and compelling wines. Okay. Uh, and, and I guess it was yeah, a, I, I a really good excuse to play good music. That's pretty yeah. much. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I you know I enjoy Spanish wine. I don't know as much as I would yeah. like. And then uh, are you coming back to the States at all for tour? Yeah, you know, we'll be back uh, when we get back in June. Basically, that'll be around release time. Uh, and the goal is to kind of do these nights like this shows in probably 10 cities in June and July and really kind of slowly break in to, to, to coming back. to. T- it's actually been a very, very long time since I've toured extensively in the U.S. So I think the goal is to really try to get some music out there, whether it's on the radio or whatever, and, and then... Uh, and use that as a springboard to getting back on the road here in America. That's great. My real goal. And you're playing uh, in Philly on Friday. Hey, on Thursday. Thursday. Thursday, yeah. On, in, in, yeah, in Philly on Thursday, we're doing like a, a little bit of a kind of a an intimate evening with Eli Favorite Reed with just me and a couple other guys doing some some tunes from the new record. But it's not it's not the full on nights like this. But uh, if you're in Philly, you should come out and see us at the Prince Theater on Thursday, which is the 20th. Amazing. Um, well, before we uh, have you play one more tune, um, where can people find you, sign up for email list, pre-order the record, etc.? Well, you can. Uh, the best place, I think, is to hit me up on Twitter, which is just at Eli Paperboy Reed, all one word, two E's at the end. Facebook is good, too, facebook.com slash Eli Paperboy Reed. The website is a thing that exists. I don't really know who runs it, but Twitter and Facebook are, are always good. I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. If you hit me up, I will, I will hit you back. And, um, yeah, record comes out April 29th. Shock to the System, which I just played, is out on iTunes right now, so you can go and buy that. It sounds really good. It sounds better than just me and a guitar, I promise. It sounds pretty good in here. Yeah, oh, thank you. I appreciate uh, it. I mean, I have to say that you were one of the first performances where when we started to look back uh, and be like, oh, I actually think we can start making comps of all the live performances. Um, it was like one of your performance with like the with that and the, the fork on the plate percussion, <laughs> which was like, I think just like a happy accident after we finished eating. I feel like it was just somebody just like, I, whoever was, it was, maybe somebody else was in here and decided to just use the fork in the plate. Unless it was on the floor. It was on I, the floor. Was I just stomping on it? You were it? just stomping and we were just like, oh, that sounds actually. That's, really, I think that's what it was. Yeah. You know, I missed that. We should have done that. We yeah, well, you know. Next gotta, time. You next, gotta time. Make, next time for the exactly. hopefully in less than four years for the next record. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I also want to thank our other guest, Eduardo from DBGB. Thank you so much for spending your day off with us. Thank you, so much fun. Uh, yeah, and so um, uh, stay tuned next week for another episode of Snacky Tunes. I will not be here, but Darren will be taking my place, uh, and then we'll be back in two weeks for a very special birthday edition All of. Right. Uh, yeah, we have the Richard Jenkins, who is a uh, who. Uh, do you know him? Okay, I, I know of him. I uh, know him. He is like old school piano player um, from around New York like Carlisle type vibes so that'd be fun. we thought uh, that'd be really amazing um, but uh, alright yeah, well, what are you going to take us out with we're going to do one of, this is my favorite ballad on the record I'm a big ballad guy and we had to have one real powerful ballad and this is called Two Broken Hearts wait and who wrote the, was, did you write the ballad or did you have help on oh it? I wrote the ballad yeah. okay. I write all the ballads <laughs> I, write, I mean most of the lyrics are mine but this is, this is one of my my, my, my uh, I, this is probably my favorite song on the record although I have to say that about all of them Anyway, two broken hearts. You've been gone a week now, but I still haven't cried. Everything that you took from me. 
You still can't shake my pride You told me all your secrets And girl, I told you mine But I won't have no regrets If I get some of my mind So baby, stand back It's a heart attack Gonna use your words to get you back Pretty soon you'll see Misery loves company Keeping all your secrets Just ain't no fun Two broken hearts listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter 
enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.